Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Come on, give it up for Carrie. Isn't that great? Awesome. Man, if you are new to our church and you don't know what's happening in our family ministries, particularly in our student ministry on Wednesday night, it's awesome. It's blowing up and Jesus is showing up and changing lives. It's an awesome thing. Amen to that. Amen to that. Amen. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Good congratulations to all of you who actually showed up today with Daylight Savings and Spring Break. We're glad for that. If you're new with us, my name is Trevor. Let me introduce myself. Like, yeah, I'm Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Community of Hope. We're so glad that you've joined us for worship today. So welcome here to all of you at the West Campus in what we call downtown Loxahatchee. So we're glad all of you are here. And to everybody who's streaming with us online, the vast majority of our church is still streaming online with us. And so we're glad that you're here today, too. So if you're online on a computer with us, wave at me, put an emoji in the chat, say, hey, glad that you've joined us here today. Hey, listen, before we jump into our message, quick little church update thing. Want to let everybody know what we're going to be doing for Easter in just a couple of weeks. We're excited about this. Last year, Easter was online only. We're in total shutdown. We're having services this year for Easter. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Yeah, now some of you, if you especially, you came to our drive through Ash Wednesday stuff, or maybe you had heard about what our original plans were. Our original plans were going to meet at an amphitheater here in town. The city of Wellington changed some of their policies, and at, so forget that, we're going to go back to our campuses. So here at the West Campus, here's the plan for Easter. We're doing indoors, outdoors, and online. If you are most comfortable with an outdoor service, or if you're somebody streaming online, you want to come in person, but you're not ready to be indoors yet, you can come to the 7 a.m. sunrise service that's going to be beautiful. We're going to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus from the dead right as the sun rises in the morning, just like when he rose from the dead. We're going to have services in here in this room at 9, 10, 30, and 12. And then online, we're going to have all day on demand the most incredible online experience we have produced yet as a church, we're thrilled with what we're going to do for Easter. We tried to set the bar for Christmas, and let me tell you, we just took a quantum leap for Easter. Check out some of the pictures from our production. We've already filmed everything for Easter already. Go ahead. Let me tell you what the band did is awesome. What Pastor Dale did is awesome. It's going to be fantastic. And so what we're hoping and praying for is that more people will experience the message of Easter through Community of Hope this year more than any other year ever, particularly through the internet. So make sure you come, make sure you invite people, but most importantly, can you do me a favor when you help the mission of Jesus at our church? Would you share the online experience and invite people to do it? Would you do that? Great. Share it on email, share it through Facebook, share it on YouTube, share it on Instagram, share it on TikTok, share it through Messenger Bird. I don't care however you share. And no, I don't mean Twitter, but listen, share it however you want to share it. Help us get the word out there. We're pumped about it. It's going to be fantastic. Again, online, not just broadcasting the times like we're doing right now. Online is going to be online and on demand all day long, starting at 7 a.m. It's going to be great. It's going to be on every platform. Make sure you check it out. All right. So 
we are pumped about that. Now, something else I've been pumped about is it's actually been a big week in the Johnson household. As many of you know, if you've come to our church for any period of time, you know that I love sports. I'm not good at sports. I can't catch anything. People say the only ball I could catch or the only thing I could catch is a cold. So... The only sports I have ever been good at my entire life are ones where they're contact sports. Like if the goal is to hit the person, you got it. You got it. So I love martial arts. I love uh, just all sorts of type of combat sports. I wrestled. I did martial arts. I, I did Taekwondo. I'm doing karate now. I love it. I put the fist in pacifist, baby. Yeah. Now... And so this is the type of sport that our family does in our house. And many of you know my son, Cade, takes karate. So this is a big week. We had a testing this week. And let me show you a picture of what happened to Cade on Friday night. Look at that. Look at that stud. He graduated from green belt, black stripe, to blue belt. He's now in the advanced class, which is awesome. Here's something. Yeah, all right. He's actually here on the front row. So make sure you give him a high five later. Good job, buddy. Proud of you. Now, here's also something that's really cool. Not only is Kate in karate, but Tessa started karate too, and she just got her first testing, and she took off that white belt and put on that yellow belt this past week. That's right. The ladies in our family know how to paint their toenails, and they know how to kick you in the face. Straight up, man. Hashtag International Women's Day, baby. So we love all this stuff. Now, why am I showing you this right now? I'm showing you this because there's something about the belt system in karate that all of us can identify with, karate or taekwondo or whatever, or Brazilian jiu-jitsu, whatever style it is, if you care anything about martial arts. There's something everybody can identify with that. Everybody, no matter who you are, if you like sports or if you don't even like to sweat, okay, no matter where you are, all of us like the idea of being able to have progression, to have progress, to have growth, to have achievement, to go to the next level on something. We all like this. You all like to go to the next level, uh, let's say, on games. You all like to go to the next level on your career. You like to go to the next level on a certain status you have with an organization. You like how to go to the next level on whatever it may be. You enjoy that. We all enjoy this in every sphere of life. We all enjoy going to the next level. This is what we are talking about today. Uh, in our series, Descending into Greatness. We're talking about going to the next level of what Jesus modeled for us. So in this series, Descending into Greatness, we're about a month into it, we're talking about a hymn that was in Philippians chapter 2. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of churches in the ancient city of Philippi. And what he talked about was he took an old song that was written in the 30s AD that was circling around the Christian community. It's actually the oldest piece of Christian literature that archaeologists have. And he quoted this piece of poetry, this song, this hymn, these song lyrics that were about Jesus and how modeling what Jesus did is a model for how we should have our relationships with one another. And ultimately, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is what Jesus did was instead of setting himself up as great, making himself great, making himself important and grand, Jesus descended, lowered himself, humbled himself, and in doing so, he descended into greatness. See, in our culture, we're addicted to up. We're addicted to ascending. We're addicted to climbing the ladder. Jesus told us the way to greatness isn't to exalt yourself. But to become great, you have to humble yourself. 
So the past couple of weeks, we've talked about how literally this piece of uh, scripture, whether you're a Christian or not, religious or not, um, spiritual or not, it doesn't matter. If you live in Western civilization, we admire humility and we abhor arrogance because of this passage of scripture. It literally changed the history of the world. We talked about how humility begins with dignity and identity that you can't lower yourself unless you first know who you really are. I am who you say I am, God. We just sang that a moment ago. And then last week, Pastor Dale talked with us about how humility and servanthood go together. If you want to grow to become humble, grow to serve other people. There's no quicker way to the path of humility than that. And so here we are today. We're jumping in. So if you haven't opened up your COH app yet, I go ahead and encourage you to do that. Uh, If you brought your Bible with you, go ahead and do that. Otherwise, we're going to have that on the screen. Open up your sermon notes. However you write stuff down, open up a note in your phone. I don't care. I always say that um, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. See that? You'll learn more if you write stuff down. But Trevor, I don't use a pencil on my phone. Just roll with me. Okay. All right. Great. All right. So we're in Philippians chapter 5, verses 5. Through 11, we're going to look at this again. We're just going phrase by phrase through this passage. Verse 5, it says here, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so today, we're going to focus in on verse 8. We're going to put it up on the screen. I want you to read this out loud with me. So wherever you're at, uh, don't do this if you're driving. (laughs) Wherever else you're at, if you're streaming with us, read this with me out loud. Ready? Go. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. This is what we're talking about today. So uh, the first title in our series was called Why? And then we talked about Who? And then last week, we talked about what? And today, here's the title. We're talking about how. How. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are here. You are in our midst. We don't need to beg you to be here. You were here waiting for us. And so here we are. Lord, my simple prayer is uh, I pray a prayer out of Jeremiah, that you would make your word and these words um, like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you would make this like a living flame of love. And would you make our hearts the wood it consumes? Come, Holy Spirit. We've opened our ears. Now speak in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so let's jump in. How, how then... Did Jesus descend into greatness? How did he do this? Well, we're going to focus on the last word we just read, and the word is obedience. Sexy, isn't it? 
obedience. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, great. The one day I came to church, I even came on on uh, daylight savings. I actually got myself out of bed or I'm actually streaming. Oh, geez, he's talking about obedience. If you're online, don't click off yet. If you're here in the room, I have you trapped. <laughs> now, just hold with me for a minute. What I'm trying to tell you today is that this is so important to the life of Jesus. If you think Jesus of Nazareth has anything worthwhile to say to you in your life, you're going to want to hear about what he has to say in his perspective on the concept of obedience. So let's just talk for a minute about what this is in particular. Um, obedience, the word for it in the Greek New Testament is the word akuo. Everyone say that with me. Akuo. Not hakuna matata. Akuo. Akuo. And the root word for that in Greek is listen, which is the exact same root word for this concept in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, this word for this idea is shema. Everyone say shema. Shema. Shema means uh, to listen, to follow, to acknowledge. There is no word in the ancient Hebrew Bible that Jesus memorized like every other young Jewish man in antiquity. There is no word for obedience. There's only shema, which means to listen. Now, uh, when it's talking about listen, what it means is listen. It means acknowledge. It means follow. And we use the language the same way now today. For instance, if you're a parent of young kids, you say all day long, okay, we're going to do a good job listening today. Everyone do a good job listening, right? And if it's not a good day, if we're not doing a good job listening, and your house is probably, no one's listening to me, or maybe just my house. <laughs> Amen. Okay, great. So, yeah, you're with me. I got you. I got you. Okay? So we use this type of language today. And when it's talking about the idea of listening, the type of obeying, the idea of obeying, what it's really saying is, I am listening to you and will follow you and do what you say. This is obedience. Okay? Now, what's really important, whenever a preacher like, like me puts on a microphone and has a Bible and starts talking about obedience, some people, uh, they kind of clinch up and they get ready because the church has done awful things with this concept before and has used religion like a club to beat people, right? So let me say what this is not going to be today. Obedience is not legalism. Have you ever met somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus and they're just a flat-out religious jerk? Yes, that's because they think obedience is legalism. They follow all the rules, and they're the most unloving jerk face in the world. And so obedience is not that at all. We're not talking about that. Obedience is also not trying to earn God's favor, not trying to earn salvation. A lot of people think if I follow all the rules, then that's how I get into heaven, because good people go to heaven. If I have 51% or more good deeds compared to 49% or less bad deeds, and I do that percentage of obedience, then I get to go to heaven. But the truth is, the Bible says that that actually doesn't work. In fact, that concept of the scales isn't biblical at all. The Bible says there's actually no good people. Even better than that, Jesus invited a lot of bad people to go to heaven with him. He did. And so the truth of it is, it's not good people who go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. That's who goes. So this is not earning anything, trying to make God happy, trying to earn salvation. We're not trying to do anything with the scales today. None of that. 
None of that at all. And this is also, obedience is not about trying to do this through your own self-empowerment. A lot of people come to church, and pastors like me will put a bunch of expectations on people and say, live this way and do this and deny yourself and do all these things and give them no practical help for it at all. And that's why I call white-knuckle religion. It's the church of try harder or else. And we're not here to do that today either because the Jesus we worship in this place is also the same Jesus who sends his Holy Spirit to give people power to carry out his commands. You have help to do the things that Jesus tells us to do. Amen? Isn't that good news? You don't have to figure this out on your own. God has come to help you do this and figure it out. So we're not talking about any of that stuff. We're not talking about any of that. What are we talking about? Let's start here. Let's talk about Jesus and obedience. Jesus and obedience. See, Jesus' brand of obedience, Jesus' brand of religion, and can I say it? Jesus' brand of holiness was very different than what people would expect. Jesus' brand of obedience was actually attractive to people. It didn't repel anybody. In fact, quote-unquote sinners loved Jesus. They wanted Jesus to come to all of their parties. They thought he was the bomb. They thought he was great. His type of obedience didn't repel anybody, except if you were a religious jerk. (laughs) And it was all the religious people who didn't like Jesus. All the people who were following all the rules in a legalistic way didn't understand him. They were the ones who were offended by him because Jesus understood the letter of the law. He obeyed all of it. All of it. He understood the letter of the law, but more importantly, he understood the spirit and the heart of the law. He got both of them together. And so he confounded people, turned the world upside down. This is the God we worship in this place. And so Jesus is a friend of sinners. We talk about the concept of obedience, which is really good because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Our church is led by sinners. Me and Pastor Dale, we're both sinners. Dale's a little bit more of a sinner than me, but you know, but you know, so this is good news, right? This is good news here when he's talking about obedience here. He's teaching a bunch of broken, sinful people how to follow God, which is good because I'm in that category and you are too. And we're here to learn from the friend of sinners. Amen. Amen. Put amen in the chat if you're with me. All right. So let's talk about this. Jesus and obedience is actually foundational to the Christian life. It's foundational to the entire framework, um, theological foundation of all of Christianity. It's core. So here, when we're looking at the cross, I'm going to step down. I hope you don't lose me in the lighting just for a sec. When we're talking about, good, I'm still on the lighting. Okay. So we can see the cross here. This is what the core of Christianity is about. It's about a cross and an empty tomb. And Christians for 2,000 years have tried to be figuring out all the significance of what happened when Jesus died on the cross. And so one of the ways that we understand the significance of what happened on the cross is understanding it as a switching place, as a place where we get to trade places with Jesus, where we get to substitute ourselves with Jesus, where Jesus takes our place as sinful, broken people and dies the death we deserve for all the evil that we've done, no matter how great or how little you think you have. He dies in our place. And a lot of Christians talk about that. It's a wonderful thing. What so many Christians don't talk about is he trades places with us. 
but they don't talk about how we get to trade places with him. This is huge. Uh, my wife, Leah, and I, uh, we uh, spent a lot of time at Florida State. And no, it didn't take me like eight years to graduate. I know. Whatever. I'm watching you in particular. Leave the Miami jokes out. Okay. Um, uh, F- I spent a lot of time at Florida State doing campus ministry there and kind of working like a college church because FSU needs a lot of Jesus. A lot. We need a lot, a lot of football help too, but we need a lot of Jesus. A lot of Jesus. And so one of my, our favorite things in life was to help these college students who are very far from God experience the love of God and learn to hear the voice of Jesus for themselves. It would mess them up and ruin their lives in all the best ways. I loved it. There was one day, um, this is kind of a side note, there was one day in me and Leah's first apartment, we had a one bedroom, one bathroom, like four or 500 square foot apartment. We were newly married and we'd have a Bible study of college students coming. We'd pack 30 college students in there for Bible study and prayer where we would learn to experience God. And there's one kid who got duped into coming. Um, yeah, he got duped. He probably thought there was a pretty girl there or something. And then he encountered the love of Jesus, and it messed him up for good forever. And I remember afterward, he went, hey, um, can I talk? Can I talk to you? And he, he's a big guy. I said, sure, man, what's going on? So we went outside, and we sat on some stairs, and he burst into tears. It's, a, it's like... It's like, God is real, man. I'm like, I know he's real. And then he went, I thought college would be more debaucherous than this. (laughs) Can't make up. I loved helping people experience Jesus for the first time. Um, And so there was another Bible study where it was a group of guys, and uh, we were talking about the significance of the cross. And there was this surfer jock dude who's this great guy with a great heart, Never been to church before in his entire life, but his friends invited him. They were experiencing life change, and so he came to hear what it was all about. And we're talking about the cross, and I talked about the switching place. I said, it's like Jesus trades places with us. He takes all of your stuff, all of our junk, all of the wrong, and all of the sin. He takes that, and then we get to take all that he is and all that he's done. And this kid, it's like a light switch went off in his head, and he went, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Whoa. And I was like, whoa. Is exactly the right response. Think about this with me. Not only does Jesus die in our place for our sins, he lived a perfect, righteous life, fulfilling everything God requires. He just didn't die as sinless. He lived a full, perfect life human life. Here's what this means. Some of you came in here today or some of you clicked on the stream today and you needed to hear that Jesus has forgiven your past and you are free from your past. Amen. And some of you came in this place feeling like you would never measure up. And people have told you, you'll never be good enough. You're not good enough. It's not enough. You're not enough. You'll never measure up. And in Jesus, he not only deals with your past, he deals with you right now and looks you in the eyes and say, in me, you are enough because I was enough. Amen? So God doesn't look at you morally neutral. He looks at you and sees the righteousness of Jesus fulfilled in you. He looks at you in Christ and looks and says that you have fulfilled a perfect life of righteousness honoring God. Wow. It says this in Romans 5, 19. We're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to turn my notes over. I'm preaching. 
Romans 5.19, just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. You're just not forgiven. You're made righteous in Jesus. Oh, this is such good news. Now, we did all not come here today for me to yell about Jesus and also go, we agree, that's awesome. High five, let's go eat pancakes. There's more to it than this. Remember the first verse in our passage, Philippians 2, 5, put it on the screen. It says, in your relationships with one have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So this isn't just a Bible study about Jesus. Yeah, we're going to talk about theology of Jesus. We're going to talk about the highfalutin word of Christology. That's what we're doing right now. But we're also going to talk about humility and having the same mindset as Jesus and what we're supposed to do with this truth, not just surrender to it and receive it, but then apply it to your life. So what does this mean? How do we have the same mindset as Jesus about obedience? Let's start here. Jesus clearly framed obedience first as this. Obedience is how we love God. Obedience is how we love God. Obedience is foundational and crucial to even the idea of what it means to follow Jesus and to be a lover of God. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is called the Great Commission. Go make, this is Jesus' final words. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. There's another phrase to that sentence, verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely am with you always to the very end of the age. It's not just saying yes to Jesus and going to church, but to be a disciple of Jesus means to obey what he teaches. And then check this out. Jesus also said this in John 14. He replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with them. That blows my mind that God has come to live and dwell within me and you. It says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. What Jesus is saying here is that obedience is actually the essence of what it means to follow him. And to follow him means to love him. And to love him means to obey him. Now, this isn't some weird, manipulative, controlling thing. If you love me, you'll do what I say. We've heard abusers say those things. This is not that. This is not that. How many of you are familiar with the five love languages? Great book. Lots of people have heard about this. If you haven't yet, it'll help your marriage. It's great. Um, it's not only applies to marriage. It applies to if you have kids. It applies to if you have coworkers. It applies to if you have friends or if you know people. It applies. If you know people, this book is helpful, okay? And here's the concept, is that everybody speaks and receives love, gives and receives love in different ways. So learn to give and receive love in ways that others will receive it best. It's as simple as that. So for me, with my wife, Leah, and I, in our context of just our marriage, Leah knows that if she wants to make me feel loved, all she has to do is send me a text message saying something nice to me or leaving me a little note that she loves me. And if she really wants to go the extra mile, she gives me a little piece of chocolate. That's it. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. It ain't complicated. 
And all I need to do, and it's taken me a long time to learn this, but I'm getting there by golly, um, is that if I want her to feel loved, all I have to do is find her to-do list and do something on it. And all the ladies said, right? Put amen in the chat if you're with me, ladies. Right? Do you know God has a love language? The love language of God, the way he wants to receive love from us, is to listen and obey him. See, remember, this isn't some way to make God not mad at us. This isn't some way to, um, it's not driven by fear. This is not trying to earn anything from God. We don't get anything from God when we obey him. But rather, what Jesus teaches us is that God's love went first. He gave everything in his son Jesus, and Jesus gave everything for you. And so in love, if you want to return love to God, what he's saying is the best way I receive love back from you, because my love went first, love me back and obey me. It's how we love God. It's nothing else than that. It's obedience. It's love-driven. It's not anything else. Here's what else we learn in Jesus. Obedience actually humbles us. It actually humbles us. If you go back and look at verse 8, it says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedience has a causal effect of growing humility inside of you and inside of me. It grows us. See, to become a follower of Jesus doesn't just mean he becomes my forgiver and my friend. It also means that I ask him to be the Lord or the leader of my life. It means, Jesus, if I'm going to follow you, that means you're in charge. It means I'm not in charge. That means you call the shots. I don't call the shots. You are God, and I am not. It has a humbling effect on all of us. In fact, surely a passage that Jesus memorized as a young man in ancient Israel in antiquity was Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Check this out. It says here, And now, Israel, what does the Lord ask of you? But to fear the Lord, not terrified, but like deep reverence, to re- fear the Lord, your, uh, your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him. There it is again. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees I'm giving you today. Check this out. For your own good. That the commands that God gives aren't just because of his arbitrary rules, but because it's actually for our good. And when we follow Jesus and try to walk in obedience to him, we're recognizing that he knows best. One time when I was five years old, um, I I grew up, I was born in Seattle. I spent some time in Denver before moving to the promised land of Florida. And and, uh, when I lived in Aurora, Colorado, my best friend was a guy named Jared. We were Met me three years old. One time was like four or five. We're at the grocery store with his mom, Sid. I love Sid. Love their whole family. And Sid was pushing me and Jared in the grocery cart. We were four or five-year-old boys, and we went past the bakery of a food line. Anybody here been to a food lion? Okay, great. A couple of us. All right. We were in the bakery of a food lion in Aurora, Colorado, and we passed what uh, we passed the display, and I saw chocolate donuts. If you know anything about me, I love chocolate, and I love donuts, and I love chocolate donuts. And um, I said, Sid, can I have that chocolate donut? And she looked at me and said, no, Trevor, you can't. That's not a chocolate donut. And I went, are you crazy? 
That is a circle with a hole in it that's brown. That is a chocolate donut. And Sid was like, Trevor, no, you won't like it. That's not a chocolate donut. And I looked at her like, do you think I'm stupid? I know this grown-up trick. I remember when grown-ups told me yucky charm or lucky charms was yucky liars. I know what you're doing. This is a mom trick. That is a chocolate donut, and I want it. Trevor, that is not a chocolate donut. You can't tell me that's not a chocolate donut. This was not even my mother. And I'm talking to her like this. What's wrong with me? And so I said, I want that chocolate donut. And this poor woman put up with me and said, fine, give me that, and handed it to me. And I grabbed my warm chocolate donut, and I went to take a bite of it. Mm. And it wasn't chocolate. It was bitter and sour and tasted like sadness. It was not a chocolate donut. It's a pumpernickel bagel. Okay? Yeah. Sid knew best. And God knows best. There are plenty of things in your life and in my life where we look at God and say, I want that chocolate donut. And he goes, you're, that's not a chocolate donut. You're not going to like it. But I want it. No, I'm not going to get that. You're not going to like it. It's not good for you. But I want it, and we'll take it and eat it, and it's bitter and sour in our lives. And the truth of it is, God knows what's best for us. And when we learn to obey God and follow what he says, what we're doing is repenting of our own arrogance, thinking we know best. God, I know best. I can handle that relationship, even though it's out of the bounds of what you say in Scripture. God, I know best what to do with my money, even though you directly say not to do that with my money. God, I know how to go about this conflict. God, I know how I can keep my emotions in check and how I can keep my hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness. I know better than you, God, when really obedience, when we learn to walk in his ways, is saying, I actually don't know better. And I was wrong, and you're right, and you know best. Obedience humbles us. One more. We also learn from Jesus, lastly, that obedience grows my relationship with God. Here's what I mean by that. What grows your walk with God isn't more knowledge, which is good. It's good to learn things. What grows, but it's not that. And what also doesn't grow your walk with God is more zeal and passion and singing louder and being louder and more outspoken about stuff. I mean, zeal and passion is good, but that's not grows your relationship with God either. What grows your relationship with God is faith. And faith is trust. And when we learn to trust what God says, where we humble ourselves, say, you know better than me. And even though my worldview and my family of origin and my culture, my circle of friends might say this, your word says otherwise. And I'm going to humble myself when I learn to trust what you say and do it. That's what grows your relationship with God. There's some of you here today, I just feel there's some people who are watching online right now. And your walk with God feels stagnant. 
and you think a new Bible study or a new book or a new whatever or might what be the fix for what you're looking for, some of you feel stagnant with God because the growth you're looking for isn't going to come in something new, but learning to trust God with that one area. He's asking you to walk in your, his ways and you haven't done it yet. That's what's going to grow and have a breakthrough in your relationship with God is learning to trust him and to do what he says. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And this is where Jesus showed this for us never more clearly than in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, when he knew the Father was calling him to go to the cross to die in our place. And he knelt down three times that night. And he was literally having an anxiety attack. So if you've ever had a panic attack, an anxiety attack, if you struggle with anxiety, you have a friend in Jesus who understands what you're going through. And he would sweat literally drops of blood. It's a real medical condition caused by great anguish and anxiety. He was sweating drops of blood and had to pray it through three times that night and had to eventually surrender to the Father and entrust, say, God, Father, not what I will, but may your will be done. For some of you, the breakthrough with your walk with God is learning to pray those same prayers. Lord, not what I will, but I'm going to do what you will and what you make clear in your word with my money, with my relationships, with my dating life, with my sex life, with my kids, with my family, with my career. Lord, not what I will, but what you will. And you know what you find on the other side of trusting God and obeying him? You'll find life. Just like Jesus, when he chose to obey the Father and he went to a cross and it felt like death at first, three days later, there was a resurrection from the dead. And for many of you, the step that God is calling you to take, to follow him, to trust him, to humble yourself before him and walk in obedience It might be hard at first, but I promise you, just on the other side is a resurrection. And I promise you, there has never, ever been once in my entire life when I have obeyed God and even sacrificially obeyed him, I have never regretted it. I have never regretted it. Not ever once. Some of you are waiting for a breakthrough or a miracle to happen in your life. I heard a great Bible teacher say one time, the great miracles of our lives happen in the deep waters of obedience. So my encouragement to you today is uh, just a quote I heard from the great Charles Stanley, Bible teacher, just retired after 50 years of faithfully leading his church. Charles Stanley says this, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Amen. Amen. So we're going to invite the band to come on out. And uh, as they're coming out and getting into place, here's what this means for you. If I haven't preached at you enough already, here's what this means to you. If you have not yet become a follower of Jesus and learned to walk in his ways in obedience, oh my gosh, can I just invite you to do that today? Today. Here's why. Because I believe life works best when we're doing it God's way. 
There's so much for Jesus that he offers for you, but even for just life to work its best is when we learn to live it according to God's plan. You want to become a follower of Jesus, not just for that, but a million other reasons, but for that reason alone today, become a follower of his. For some of you, You've been following Jesus for a little bit, and you just don't even know what this book says. You don't know what, how to live life or how to go about certain things a certain way with him because you just don't know, and you need to learn what this book says about how to live. So you need to learn. So do me a favor. Everyone promised me right here the way to learn the Bible is not, do not do this. Do not Google what the Bible says about and fill in the blank. Don't do that. It's like WebMD. Don't do it. You want to know why? You'll find a Bible teacher on the internet who will tell you anything you want to hear. You need a Bible teacher who would tell you the things you don't want to hear. Amen? You don't need a timid doctor, and you don't need a timid preacher, and you don't need a timid teacher. So learn the Bible. Get involved in a Bible study here. Get in a group if you're not in a group. Sign up for a Bible reading plan on the YouVersion plan. Talk to a staff member here. Ask questions in the context of community. Do that here. Some of you just need to learn because you don't even know what God commands. What does the Bible say about this subject? We'll show you. And lastly, this is just true for all of us. We all just need to trust God a little bit more. So what's the one place in your life where today God's asking you to trust him and to follow him? Would you pray with me? Lord, search our hearts. Search us, Lord. Know our hearts. Test us. Know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way of life everlasting. Jesus, thank you for your obedience that makes us right with God. Thank you for teaching us obedience is to love the Father. It's not control, it's love. Thank you for giving us the grace of humility by following you. And Lord, we want to grow our trust in who you are because you are good. Speak and lead us now in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Van's going to lead us in a song to time to respond. You can pray, you can worship, seek God. You know, there's a story from the life of Jesus. When he was in public, he was teaching. And so people caught a woman in the act of adultery and they drug her before Jesus, which is interesting. If they caught her, where is the guy? So they brought this poor woman in front of Jesus. They said, Lord, the scripture says that we should stone her. Aren't you going to obey the scriptures? And Jesus bent down and he started to write in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. And he said, you know, sure. But first, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. Then you can stone And he bent down and wrote some more. And one by one, everybody dropped their stones and left. Because no one's without sin. And Jesus then bent down and looked at the woman. I said, woman, where are your accusers? And she looked around her and said, Lord, they're they're all gone, but no one's accusing me. And he looked at her in the eye, looks at you in the eye, and says, then neither do I accuse you. Neither do I condemn you. 
go and leave your life of sin and follow me. So no matter what you brought in here today, no matter what Jesus might be putting his finger on, asking you to leave and to follow him, know he loves you. Know he doesn't accuse you. Know he already traded places with you on the cross for your sin. Leave it here and go and follow him. So now may the God of peace, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.